Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. America's rising gun violence means extraordinary measures are being taken to keep people safer. And that's having some unusual effects in our schools. Two Michigan school districts, for instance, have banned backpacks to make sure kids don't tote guns in their buildings this month. Yes, backpacks, which are meant for books and lunches. We'll talk today about guns and schools in Michigan and, of course, right here in Detroit as well. That's next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. Good day, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've decided to join us. It's a ritual that any of us who have children observe and follow most school days. You send your children off to school and you pack what they need in their backpacks. Books, notebooks, lunches. It's pretty routine stuff. But for two school districts in Detroit recently, the idea of welcoming children into the building every day with backpacks has become too much. Due to fears of gun violence, Flint Community School banned backpacks, backpacks on May 1st of this year. And Grand Rapids Public Schools did the same thing on May 10th. Now, school officials acknowledge that these decisions are probably temporary, that they are simply an attempt to stop kids from bringing guns to schools right now as we are experiencing a really dramatic rise in gun violence all across the country. And we should talk about how much that rise in gun violence is affecting all of us. A new report from the Center for American Progress noted that about 40% of Michigan households have firearms in them. And those numbers lead to deadly outcomes. More than nine Michiganders are injured and another four are killed by guns every day. Gun deaths reached a record high of 1,544 in 2021. That was a 25% increase from just five years before 2016. A University of Michigan researcher recently found that about 6% of Michigan kids report carrying weapons into school. There are a number of actions that Michigan lawmakers took this year to try to stop gun violence. They enacted safe storage laws, universal background checks, and red flag laws. It's possible that the results of these efforts simply haven't left their mark yet, or maybe it's that these laws are not all that effective at keeping guns out of students' hands. A little later in the hour, we're going to talk specifically about gun violence in Detroit and the rise that we're seeing here and how People are responding to that, especially community leaders and community activists. But before we get there, we want to talk about these new backpack bans. Why are they happening now? How effective might they be? And how crazy is it, really, that this is where we are? We're telling children that they can't bring to school with them something that children for generations have toted into school buildings. We're banning backpacks. That's where the conversation begins today on Detroit Today. And to talk about this, we have Pamela Pugh with us. She is the president of the Michigan State Board of Education. Pamela, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. So I want to start here. Why do you think this backpack ban 
is happening now. Is this a last-ditch effort by school administrators to contain and prevent gun violence? You have two districts now that have said, leave your backpacks at home. I find that extraordinary. It is extraordinary, and, and it really just tells of the times uh, that we're in and, and the need and the desperation of school districts to protect the children um, and, and making sure that parents uh, grappling with how do we make sure that parents know when they send their children to school, they're supportive environments, they are safe environments where children go to learn. Um, so we know that parents are beyond fearful. I mean, that is an understatement. We know that school districts are uh, really trying and stretching hard uh, to make sure that, that they are doing just that. Uh, as you mentioned, in April 13th, the governor signed a package of, of bills, and, and there's one more that, that's on the way to be signed, but one of those bills was Senate Bill 79. And that was to uh, make sure that firearms in the home were kept safe, uh, in particular for children under the age of 18. What we know is that we have a Republican legislature that did not uh, support that bill, and therefore that bill has not gone into effect. And those are uh, the safety measures that that we need for our children um, as our school districts, as uh, school boards and administrations and community and family and children, students work together to determine other ways uh, to, to be more preventative. Um, so, you know, we can talk about, uh, about some of those preventative measures mm-hmm. that we know we need to be thinking about as we are dealing with this urgency uh, right here, right now, because as you've read often, startling, startling statistics that we should never grow, um, normalize, or uh, see as the norm. Those statistics should startle us every time we hear them. So as we look to uh, address those urgent statistics uh, that continue to to show to be true um, on a daily basis, as we turn on the news and look across the country, mm-hmm. uh, we know that 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 schools will be grappling for, um, you know, what 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 can we do in this moment? Um, so, so I do want to have you talk about some of these preventative measures that that you think uh, would, would help, and and I want to have you talk specifically about why they would help. Because this is one of the things that gets us hung up when we talk about uh, either legislation or other kinds of regulation for uh, you know for for gun safety or or to prevent gun violence. Lots of people say it's not going to matter that if you pass these laws or or regulations that the people who want to break the law aren't going to follow them anyway. So so I want to have you talk about what you think are reasonable preventative measures that we could take and and why you think they might be effective. So first of all, let's just start with the safe storage law. I mean, that's that's just right in front of us. It's it's not too distal and it's it's something that that we know would uh, penalize uh, those who own those guns in the home if they're not stored, uh, meaning that it could um, lead to jail time, it could lead to fines. And so the thought there is that parents, guardians, um, those owners of guns would be thinking about um, how do we make sure that we best uh, store uh, these guns. So that's, that's, that's one. But let's go a little bit more upstream because I'm a public health person. Uh, and so we know as we invest in mental health, as we invest in social uh, support, let's just talk about making sure that we have social workers in schools. How about we have a budget, an equitable uh, funding budget that's not at the uh, bottom of the 50 states. Mm. Um, and we're digging our way out of that. So for decades, um, we've seen uh, Michigan be at the bottom when, when it looks at looks at equitable funding. So communities uh, where, where we know there is most need, where there are uh, high rates of low-income persons, where there's high rates of 
English language learners where there's high rates of um, of special needs children um, where we know we need a good educators in front of students uh, where we're up north in, in, in the up north areas, uh, northern areas where transportation is an issue we've seen where uh, funding is is not equitable. Um, and that's not to say it, it, what that shows is that we are not investing mm-hmm. um, in our children. Uh, and that's that's basically what that shows. You know, people talk about when I was a child and I can talk about that. You probably could talk about that. But let's just think about the enrichment activities mm-hmm. and the activities mm-hmm. that, that children had access to summer jobs. Uh, you know, um, going to um, the community center that was on the corner, yeah. having a, a school that's in the center of, of community that anchored community. So let's first of all, you know, talk about how we've divested in our communities as a whole, that we've divested in our education system, uh, as well as those are enrichment programs that keep our children occupied, um, thinking about future around other children um, who can help to uh, cultivate um, a, a culture, you know, of love, uh, working, you know, having um, relationship with children who live outside of, of your area um, as well. So really making sure that we're investing in, in our children, investing in those neighborhoods that our children live in, but, you know, just, just being able to enact laws uh, that we know would also help to prevent uh, firearms showing up in schools um, that would help to prevent uh, the the school violence that we're seeing as well as the community violence that we're seeing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're talking with uh, Pamela Pugh. She is the president of the Michigan State Board of Education. What we're talking about is gun violence in schools and the concerns about gun violence in schools. Uh, rising gun violence all over the country is, of course, affecting our schools, and that's true here in Michigan as well. Two school districts in the state recently decided that in order to help kids keep kids safe, they needed to ban backpacks. Uh, Kids can no longer bring backpacks with them to schools in the Flint Community School District, as well as in Grand Rapids Public Schools. It's a pretty extraordinary measure. Uh, Is it the kind of thing, though, that is necessary right now? Is it the kind of thing that will maybe keep kids safer than they have been given uh, the rising gun violence all over the country. Uh, we want to hear from you, our listeners, as well during the conversation. Uh, call us and tell us if you're a parent or a student and what you make of these backpack bans. Uh, if you are in favor of them, tell us why you think this will help keep children safer. If you're against, tell us what else you think maybe could be done to keep students safe from gun violence. Do you think the state legislature needs to do more to keep students safe? They have uh, been really leaning into the idea of further gun legislation here in Michigan in a way that they haven't uh, in many, 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 many years. Uh, What else would you put on their plates? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation. Before we get to listeners, Pamela, I want to ask you about the response you've heard uh, from parents and students to what's, what's happening in Flint and Grand Rapids. Is there blowback that you're hearing about this or are you hearing that people feel like look this is this is necessary even if it's if it's undesirable and 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 talk about the relationship i guess between the state board which you lead and you know parents in in local communities and the districts uh, that that serve uh, that that serve their students again we hear mixed um responses but what we do we do know is that we don't want to turn our schools into militarized zones and we definitely hear that uh, from community we want children to be able to go to school 
and to be able to learn in environments where they don't feel uh, like they're in a, in a battlefield. Um, so we definitely hear that. We also know, again, I will say that on repeat, that educators and uh, school district administrators, local school boards are really perplexed, um, to say the least. Uh, they do not want to be that next place uh, where school violence takes place um, due to gun violence. Uh, we really encourage um local districts at these very uh, heated times and, and parents and, and um, community to come together and, and really try to talk and talk out and talk through these complex issues. Again, you know, if, if we had a legislature, um, well, let me say uh, Republicans on the legislature that, that would uh, th that these gun laws could go into effect. I don't think a lot of people realize that that some of these laws that we know would be would be helpful uh, for a helpful tool for these districts. They're not in effect. Um, as far as the state board of education, we we write guidance. Um, recently, we wrote uh, a resolution that spoke mm -hmm. to uh, just a holistic approach. Uh, that, that some of the things that I laid out uh, where, you know, we want to make sure that school districts are adequately funded to have uh, social workers, the right ratio of um, nurses, uh, school nurses to students, um, because those are all of those pieces, social workers, counselors, school nurses, they help to make sure that children are balanced. They can check in to see if, if they're noticing anything because we have to ask the question also, why is it that that statistic that you read off mm -hmm. is true about children needing to take uh, backpacks with a gun in, in it into the classroom um, or into that, that school building? What is going on? You know, are we seeing bullying? Um, there are a whole lot of factors uh, that, that feed into that as well. And we're constantly trying to put out uh, training and making sure we have supports for educators so that they can also uh, make sure that they're providing a climate and a culture uh, and a school setting that's, that's welcoming to all children because we know that some children um, will be bullied uh, more more than other children. And so we have to make sure that we look at this from a holistic perspective, and that is the language that, that we're constantly talking in to school districts, providing them with guidance, providing them with uh, the support, uh, then talking to the legislature and making sure, as well as the, the governor's office, making sure that they know where priority needs to be placed um, from a budgetary standpoint, um, as well as from a policy standpoint. Um, and so we are here to support uh, those districts because uh, anyone serving at the local level right now, it is just in, in a school district, um, whether it's direct, you know, health uh, when we're talking about COVID or whether it's social and emotional well-being of children, whether it's making sure that you can provide supportive um, um, classrooms and supportive environments for LGBTQ plus children or um, children, you know, BIPOC children. Um, they are catching it um, from, from all ends and we have to make sure that those environments are, are as safe as possible. And so uh, as a community, we have to make sure that when we're having these conversations, we're, we're listening to both sides Again, supporting um, children to be able to be in classrooms and school buildings where they don't feel like they're in these militarized zones, but at the same time, um, making sure that they are safe. And we also need to make sure that they can carry books in a backpack. Uh, imagine a world without backpacks these days. Um, so we ho we're you know hoping that we can get through this and give uh, parents and, and educators, school districts, the supports they need, yeah. i.e. Uh, passing, allowing a Senate bill that would help some of these factors that, that, that begin at home uh, to be addressed at home. Yeah. And uh, that storage law would be helpful 
um, but also, as we said, giving the supports that are needed inside of that school building. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. When we come back, we are going to continue this conversation about guns and schools statewide here in Michigan with Pamela Pugh, who is president of the Michigan State Board of Education. We'll also get going with you, the listeners, on the phones and on social. We're going to start with Bill Boyer, who is the president of the Oak Park Education Association, someone who joins us from time to time to talk about what's going on in that district and here in Southeast Michigan. We'll also hear from Joan in South Field and Steve in Windsor. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you in the conversation that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your place for open dialogue. The music you love. Real news and in-depth analysis. And cultural experiences. The sound of Detroit. 1019 WDET is your public radio station. School districts in Michigan have decided that to deal with the rise in gun violence that we're seeing, they need to ban backpacks. Children cannot bring their books or their lunches in the backpacks that all of us really remember toting to school every day. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and I'm really glad you've joined us. We're talking today about gun violence in general, but also specifically in schools. Uh, how do we deal with the rise in gun violence in schools, even here in the state of Michigan? Uh, what should we be doing that we're not doing? What uh, are things that the state legislature should be considering or acting more quickly uh, to get into place in order to make sure that kids are safe when they are in school. We want to hear from you uh, during the conversation. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. Call and tell us about your experiences sending your children to school or going to school if you are a student. Uh, how safe do you feel? Do you think bans on backpacks are some of the, the, the steps that need to be taken uh, to make sure that schools are safe. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. Uh, we've got Pamela Pugh with us. She is the president of the Michigan State Board uh, of Education. Uh, I also want to welcome another voice to the conversation right now. Bill Boyer is the president of the Oak Park Education Association. And recently, we hosted a show here on Detroit Today about violence in schools here in Southeast Michigan. Mm -hmm. Had Bill and a number of students with with him uh, talking about how they handle uh, the violence that's in schools. Bill, welcome back to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, uh, bans on backpacks in schools. I, I, I gotta, I gotta say, I, I'm not sure I ever thought that would that would be the case. I've heard of schools requiring uh, children to have clear backpacks, transparent ones, so that they could see what was in them. But but give us a sense uh, of what this looks like from your seat there in in Oak Park, uh, and and as a, a leader of a, a teachers. Uh, union, um, uh, what kind of reaction do you have to this kind of step for, for safety? Yeah, you know, it wouldn't work in our district. Um, besides, the clear backpacks aren't even cool. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but My backpack is black. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the, uh, the focus on security measures, but, I, you know, it's, it's really a pyramid uh, a triangle that overlaps with mental health and community building. Hmm. Um, but if you're just focusing on security measures, it, it wasn't going to work for our school. We, we also have an issue with our lockers are way too small. They're 50 years old. And back when I went to school, uh, maybe I had a binder and that was it. But now you got kids <laughs> with uh, laptops and several books. And that was part of the evolution of the book bag. And we tried had keeping them out in the halls, and that was hard to enforce. 
So we went the route of what um, a lot of our urban districts are doing, in particular with uh, metal detectors on the uh, entrance, which includes my son's school uh, down in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's no accident in the, in, the, in the spring that our violence, our incidents of school violence um, fights goes way down. And I think a major reason is because we've developed relationships with our students and that the community building really uh, mm-hmm. needs to focus on uh, retaining highly qualified teachers. So, Bill, I want to I want you to drill down on on that a little more. I know I'm not sure that's something that everybody understands that that you feel like uh, deeper into the school year, uh, violence goes down. Uh, talk more about how that looks and and why you think that's true. Well, we do a lot of social emotional learning, which is building on trust between the staff and the students, and you can't just parachute in overnight and have a workshop or two and a restorative circle and say we're done it's a process that happens throughout the school year and you don't know what crises are going to come up and you'll have to respond to it so we're emphasizing teaching the uh, student not just the subject the problem is if you lose a lot of teachers like we did uh, with the previous administration where we lost about 25 percent of our staff then you can't have those relationships with long-term subs. And that has been a real problem the last couple of years, and we're finally turning the corner on it, and, and we're seeing that in reduced violence. Hmm. But those relationships uh, are just as important as any metal detector system. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. We've got a couple of social media comments. Michelle on Twitter says, this puts responsibility on kids. It's adults who should be making our communities safer. Safe storage is a start. Uh, also on Twitter, Sam says they will ban everything but the actual weapons uh, yeah. commentary on uh, the, yeah. the, the difficulty getting gun legislation uh, through both the state legislature and, of course, at the, at the federal level as well. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Bill Boyer, I really want to pre- uh, thank you for, for calling in. It's always great to hear uh, what is happening uh, in Oak Park when we talk about these subjects. Thanks, thanks for calling us. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, let's go next to Joan in Southfield. Joan, welcome to the program. Thank you for having my call. Hi. I would just like to make an observation here regarding the backpacks and the health concerns. We, we are speaking of children who are using these backpacks that are placed on their backs that does raise issues regarding their spinal concerns. Mm. We're talking. We're talking about a a person who is in in the the, uh, uh, process of growth. Yeah, developmental stages. Absolutely. Sure. And this has not been addressed, and it's a serious, serious concern regarding this this spinal issue. We're speaking of children who are growing up wearing these backpacks. Forget about what's in them. Yeah. Joan, uh, that's a a very interesting point. Uh, I I can remember really well. I went to a a really rigorous school uh, from 7th to 12th grade, had all these books, and uh, had to lug them around all the time. And you're right, it's too heavy. Uh, And it does affect affect your your posture and all those other things. Uh, I I do appreciate the call and uh, and the reference there, uh, Joan. Let's go next to Steve in Windsor. Steve. What's on your mind? Hi. Um, <clears throat> I was going to Michigan public schools in the 50s and 60s, and mm-hmm. people were polite with each other. One of the things, and I'm not saying I'm right, but one of the things that I think is that as you look at what children have been programmed to in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond, their video games are prize violence. Mm-hmm. It's like kids are being programmed and also what you see on television, there's no respect. So many of the games involve killing. <clears throat> what I suggest is a long-term solution, that we need to really look and see if there's a way to control 
the messages that our children are being exposed to from the very youngest age. I look at my grandchildren, and what's offered is frightening. Mm. Now, again, I'm not certainly not an expert, but I grew up in a time when children had good manners, when adults had good manners, um, and when everybody was safe just walking around. Mm-hmm. And what I think I've it's, seen is just the whole society has been yeah. programmed in a very bad way. So, Steve, I, I really appreciate that perspective. I'm always really careful about that kind of nostalgia because I think in some ways we, we tend to forget some of the other things that were going on mm-hmm. uh, in the 1950s and 60s and, and before that were quite violent. And, and you know, this has been a violent society for you know the entire time we've we've existed as as Americans at the same time you're not wrong that the 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 messages that children get today are much more violent and they're exposed to it in different ways than they than they were before uh, Pamela Pugh this is this is some of what you're trying to focus on which is uh, allowing uh, families and allowing schools to deal with the greater context here, right? The social context, not Absolutely. just the guns. Yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. And making sure that we invest in that, you know, and, and I believe that what has also happened over some period of time is that we've seen that we're not uh, investing in our communities. We're not investing in our school systems in the way that, that we should be, uh, which, uh, you know, like we started this conversation out with, there were other activities that many of us uh, had at our disposal that, that some children, that, that our children do not. Um, so we can't expect them uh, to, to find other things to do, um, such as playing video games and, and other uh, more mischievous um, activities. So we have to invest in our communities we have to invest uh, in our schools, and to uh, Mr. Boyer's point, we have to make sure that our education system, our educators, those people who are coming in contact with our children, that we're investing there as well. Um, and so we have not done that. As a matter of fact, we have gone backwards, even though we see the destruction uh, that that causes. I'll say one other piece, too, because we're con- we've, we've uh, this light bulb has gone off, and we're talking about how gun violence is the number one killer of our children. In many of our communities, that has long been the case. We cannot wait for th- this devastation to hit us. It has to be when we see it going on in, in Detroit, Flint, Saginaw, mm-hmm. we have to care about that in Oxford and Traverse City um, because. Once it begins, it usually comes your way. And so we have to start thinking about the communities who have long been facing uh, these statistics and and making sure that we nip these types of things in the bud before it shows up at our doorstep. Yeah. We, if, if, if there's this type of crisis that's going on for any child, we have to be concerned about it uh, anywhere. Okay, yeah, Pamela Pugh, president of the Michigan State Board of Education, was really great to have you and your perspective here for this conversation on Detroit today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about gun violence, but we're going to pivot specifically to the city of Detroit. We are experiencing our own rise in gun violence. What is the community reaction to it? What is the government reaction to it? What are the things that we need to have on the table as options to make things safer? also want to continue to hear from you on the phones and on social. 313-577-1019 is the number here. And you can go to Twitter and hashtag us, and we can make you part of the program that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.
Detroit today on 101.9 WDET. Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining. We are always dealing with violence and gun violence in particular here in the city of Detroit. And there are lots of reasons for that. The poverty, the deprivation, lack of investment, a lack of trust in our police force and our government, and of course, easy access to guns. They all make for an incredible mixture of characteristics that make this a very violent city. Over the years, gun violence has, of course, gone up and down. But right now, there's a new trend that has some political leaders worried. Teen gun violence in Detroit is up. There's been a 25% uptick of non-fatal shooting teen victims and a 33% uptick in non-fatal shootings from teen offenders, according to a January statement from Detroit Police Chief James White. So this has sparked new solutions to an old problem. Gun-free zone resolutions, while needing approval by the state, are been passed here in Detroit. And at the state level, law enforcement officials have started Operation Safe Neighborhoods, which sets out to remove illegal guns from the homes of people who are on probation and parole. The big question, of course, is how effective any of these policies will be. Will this turn the tide in the opposite direction with gun violence, especially with young people, and what does gun violence really look like at the ground level? How do we get to uh, the folks who have illegal guns and use them in illegal manners? That is where we continue the conversation here on Detroit Today. And to talk about it, we've got two guests with us. Eli Newman is a reporter and producer for us here at WDET, and he's been covering crime and violence in Detroit for some time. Eli, welcome back to the studio. Thanks for having me on. Also with us is Bishop Daryl Harris. He is the founding pastor of Total Life Christian Ministries and the faith-based coordinator for Ceasefire Detroit. Bishop Harris, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so very much. So, uh, Bishop Harris, I do want to start with you. Uh, you're somebody who's pretty close to uh, to the, the the kinds of places that are affected by violence, the people who are affected by violence here in Detroit. Just give us a, a thumbnail uh, of what you see on a daily basis right now and how different it is uh, than it was just a few years ago. Yes, that's a very uh, good question. Uh, being in the position in which I'm in working through the faith-based component, we deal with a lot of those who have been impacted by the violence in terms of victimization. Uh, I myself began, which led me into this work. Uh, and then just beyond that, beginning to see that, you know, it's just this type of violence everywhere uh, where I'm running into more and more teenagers, as you mentioned, who are being involved in this type of victimization, as well as being involved in this type of crime or this type of criminal activity. Um, I have seen it from both sides to the perpetrator of this violence, to those who have been victimized. And oftentimes when we say victimization, we think of just the person that maybe has experienced the hurt, shot, felt pain, but also the victimization of the family of the perpetrator who then has to go through the legal course uh, and ramifications of the consequences of his actions. And so on both sides, how do you minister to this damage that's been done um, just just so horrific to communities in our neighborhoods? Yeah. I, I talked in the open just about some of the big picture factors that I think contribute to this kind of violence. But but there's been this uptick, and, and especially in the last few years, I feel like things are are different than, than they were. Can you talk about the things that you think are driving that difference? Why is why are we experiencing what we're experiencing experiencing now? And of course, these are just the views of Bishop Daryl sure. Harris, <laughs> not those necessarily of the city of Detroit or anyone else. But I think that something drastically changed in 2020, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that it affected young people in several areas. Uh, one of them is that every institution in 2020 during the COVID pandemic was literally obliterated. 
every institution that we counted on in this country to be stable, to provide that kind of stabilization, whether it be to neighborhoods, whether it be to individual persons, uh, mental health, all of those things, even if they were experiencing some sort of challenge uh, before 2020, I'm saying that in 2020, we were all left asking questions, what are we going to do to rebuild? I think on top of that, you began to see also the protest of George Floyd. Mm -hmm. It was this just, 2020 was just this unstable time is this this moment of unsurety that people just didn't know which way to move which way to go what are we going to do and i think that through that damage through that fighting for stability through that fighting for resurgence and how we're going to come forth out of this and what are we going to do i think that the persons who may have been tended to the least were our children and our young people i mean we began to uh, at the end of 2020 uh, beginning of 2021, we began to look for solutions to how do we rebuild adults and how do we rebuild uh, schools and how we rebuild. But there was no mass push for what do we do with our young people hmm. who have lost their adults, who have lost people, who have their institutions. We have classes that did not get to experience prom and graduation, right, in a normal way. Um, and so there seemed to be kind of this mindset of, I'm on my own for real now. Like wow. I've got to take care of myself. I've got all this trauma that's happened to me. No one has necessarily ministered to that or dealt with that. And so I'm kind of out here on my own. What am I going to bring to the table? Uh, and again, I'm not saying that that is the sole uh, thing, but I do think that that has a factor to do with the trend in the end. I think that's a really powerful observation about what happened over the last three years. and it And it speaks to... Again, the, the 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 sort of broken soul that I think so many of us and and especially young people are are kind of grappling with after the disruption of of the pandemic. Uh, Eli, I want to bring you into the conversation here and and have you react to what uh, Bishop Harris is talking about and tell us how the city of Detroit is reacting, how uh, the police department, how city council. Uh, is dealing with this real turn in the nature of gun violence. Well, well I think the numbers back up Bishop Harris's point. Uh, Detroit has not seen a year without more than a thousand shootings since 2020. Um, and we've really seen those st statistics stay up there, even as we're getting out of this emergency period. Now, what we have seen from from uh, city council, especially recently this month, is a uh, an effort to bring in some of that gun restriction regulation on the municipal level. There's been a, a, a resolution that recently passed that um, the city is requesting to have you know gun free zones. That was this was a conversation that Council Member Mary Waters. Um, uh, brought up earlier this month. There was a little bit of uh, discussion about where those gun-free zones are going to be. The idea was really centered around some of these uh, high-traffic commercial corridors, downtown Detroit, Greektown, the riverfront. Um, there's, But I think uh, a lot of council members and members of the public note that a lot of the gun violence that we do see in the city isn't just isolated to those busy areas, but really manifest throughout the neighborhoods. And so as we come to this moment um, in 2023, where, um, as last reported by the Detroit Police Department, um, non-fatal shootings are up 6%, mm -hmm. violent crime is up 7%, you know, I, I think everyone's looking for these kinds of solutions of how we're going to really tamp down on, on some of this uh uh, of, of these shootings and, yeah. uh, and of this gun violence. I, I want to talk specifically about Operation Safe Neighborhoods and the gun-free zone res resolutions and, and how city officials think they will affect all of this uh, this rising tide, I guess, of, of violence in the city. So, yeah, so so um, in terms of Operation uh, Safe Neighborhoods, that's more of a statewide effort that mm -hmm. was launched last December by Governor Whitmer. Um they recently announced that they've uh, confiscated some 400 firearms. Um, and that's primarily done by doing the what they call enhanced compliance checks on uh, high-risk offenders. So they're checking in with people out on probation or on parole and seeing whether or not they're in compliance with um, the, those terms of their release. Um, and if they're caught in possession with a, an illegal firearm that you know triggers this whole 
um, confiscation and uh, penalties that are associated with that. Um, they've done something like 3,300 compliance checks uh, so far this year. Now, in terms of, of, of the gun-free zones, I, I think there's, uh, again, that action requires state a state law to, uh, amend, you know, state laws to be amended. The city doesn't have the authority just to say, all right, you can't bring your uh, firearm into Hart Plaza uh, as it stands right now. But they're seeking that kind of authority. The thing is, when uh, recently Governor Whitmer was asked about, this is a specific uh, Senate bill, Senate Bill 208, um, whether or not she would support this kind of local control. She says she hasn't reviewed it. I think there's a couple of other gun reform bills that are still be circulating within the legislature, whether it be about large capacity magazines or banning domestic abuse um, uh, offenders from from possession. There's a couple of other ways that I think people are trying to address this problem. And it, while city leaders are asking for the, that kind of autonomy, it's not really clear when they would be able to act on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bishop Harris, I want to have you talk about your work with Ceasefire, which is another... I think really great intervention uh, in into the realm of gun violence uh, here in Detroit. Uh, how does that work, and uh, is it working? Uh, do you see the results of what you're trying to do here? Um, actually, that's a great question as well. Um, so, Ceasefire Detroit uh, is a, a program that was initiated probably about eight, nine years ago, what we refer to as the reset. It's really a lot older than that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a national program. Well, now we've seen it go international. It really here in the city of Detroit deals with about four components. So it's dealing with the law enforcement component, uh, deals with the service provision component, deals with the outreach or mentoring component, and then it deals with the faith-based or spiritual component. All of those ideas are to come together to see what can be provided after a message is given to that population, which more likely would be involved with that type of gun violence. So it started out just, you know, kind of gang centered, but then it also moved to group centered because we found out that sometimes in the city of Detroit, we don't necessarily have a structured gang, but we might have a group of individuals who are kind of hanging out together, no real structure, and how do we uh, impact that particular group? So the idea behind Ceasefire is to bring persons together or to go out to them to give them the message. Law enforcement's message, of course, is what law enforcement's message is always going to be. If you continue down this path of gun violence, then we have no choice but to bring all of our powers together to bring you to justice. Uh, however, the ending of their message is we would much rather you deal with our outreach team and our service provision to see if there is something that they can do to intervene in your lifestyle uh, before it gets to that point where law enforcement has to uh, intercede or where, unfortunately, death and victimization uh, intercedes. Yeah. Uh, bringing that together is what makes it work. Yeah. Um, where it's working, what is the thing in your estimation that is the difference. Uh, you talked about those four components. Is there one that, that you think really makes, makes the difference? I think interchangeably, it depends on who we're actually approaching at the time in which we're approaching them in life. Mm -hmm. uh, you may have a person who maybe the idea is that they need to have a hiatus sort of, and, and maybe they need to be set down mm -hmm. to kind of get themselves together. But then you have uh, another family where a young person may be saying, you know what, I wanted to kind of get out, but I just didn't know how, or I was into it for this social economic reason. I was into it because the family didn't have something to eat, or I was into it because of I didn't have a job, or I didn't know where to go, I didn't finish school. So these are the types of services that we bring to bear. And also, I don't want to leave out the faith-based component as well. A lot of these persons um, definitely hearing not the religious ideas behind nonviolence and conflict resolution, but the spiritual ideas behind it, concepts like mercy and love and forgiveness, right? What do they really look like mm -hmm. on a day-to-day -day level? And so I believe that interacting all of those working together uh, consistently is really what brings the change depending upon whom we're approaching at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Eli, we've got about a minute left. What's what's next in the legislative, uh, both at the state and uh, local level? What what, what are uh, elected leaders and other officials uh, still sort of waiting to get to here? 
Well, uh, like I said, that there's a couple of uh, different bills that are circulating within the the, the state legislature. Um, there's also a conversation about keeping gun manufacturers more liable um, for these kinds of mass shooting events that that we've seen, unfortunately, in the state um, recently. Um, what we have seen more on a local level is a uh, increased enforcement efforts and increased surveillance efforts that uh, are, are trying to tamp down on crime. Um, uh, these uh, there's these kinds of metal detectors. They're not quite metal detectors. They have uh, kind of an algorithm that tracks for things that look like firearms. Those are being um, installed kind of t- on a temporary basis on weekends around um, Greektown and some of these kind of high traffic areas. Uh, the, the police department is requesting um, uh, uh, more license plate readers. So that's mm-hmm. to, to tamp down on carjacking and auto theft. So there's kind of the, a robust apparatus that kind of looks at what's going on in the city. I, I think it is, though, important just to note, though, that some of those surveillance programs have been in place for several years already. And we still are seeing an increase in, in shooting. So yeah. just because we have these tools and they're There's in use. real question about the effectiveness of those surveillance tools. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, uh, Bishop Harris and L. Eli Newman, uh, great to have both of you here in the studio with us to talk about gun violence in Detroit. Thanks so much for joining. Thank you, Stephen. That's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to talk with sociologist Matthew Desmond about his new book on poverty in America and why he believes poverty remains a persistent issue in this country. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow. <laughs>